say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh, wow, you know what? I get so stoked and excited when I get a book that comes across my my big, huge, paw-like hands, okay? And, and I get this book, right? And all of a sudden, not only is it absolutely fabulous, spectacular, outstanding, wonderful, amazing, crazily good, it just speaks right to your heart and doesn't just speak right to your heart it speaks to your brain it speaks to your emotions and and it's just one of those books that it's like if you think of your think of here let's do it this way think of your life as an onion right and it's got all those layers and then somebody takes a needle right and it is able to penetrate all those layers right down to the middle okay that's what this book does. And the book's called Thriving, Not Surviving. Her name is Gina Gardner. She comes to us from the UK today. But I'm going to tell you what, before we get to her, uh, we're going to do what we always do. But man, the book's great. I'm just telling you, the book is great. It is absolutely a fabulous book. You're going to love it. You're going to want to get it. You're going to want to, yeah, it's just amazing. But let's do what we do every week. Look, I, I, look we are dealing with really crazy times, right? Right now, right? And if you're in the United States, and I know I've got listeners all over the world, but if, if you're in the United States, we just got weird stuff going on, right? I mean, we already got a pandemic going on, and then we got all this other crazy stuff happening, right? And and it's just awful. All of it is awful. There's not one part of it that's good, okay? But you know what we are? We are four-part people. We are physical people, we're mental people, we're emotional people, and we're spiritual people. And the thing about us as four-part people is, you know, we have to check in with ourselves to find out where we're at. Because if we're not checking in with ourselves on a regular basis where we're at, what happens is we get into what I like to think of as drift. Meaning that we'll just drift if we're not checking back in where we're at. We'll just drift. It's kind of what we do. We just, we just go out there and we just drift away. And so... I don't want us to drift, which is why I do this check-in every week with you in the four areas of your life, because um, it's really it really is necessary. And I know, like some of you binge listen to this show, and you go, Jay, I hear this. I, I've listened to five shows. You've done the same thing over and over again. You know what? Then what did you change in those shows, right? So let's just go through these really quickly. Scale of one to ten. One is miserable. Ten is outstanding, right? Physically, how are you doing? Right. And, and it encompasses several things, right? It's how, how are you eating? How are you exercising? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough sleep? Right. Scale of one to 10. How are you doing with those areas? How would you rate yourself? Five is average. Right. And then, and then the, you know, the big question is, okay, whatever that number is. And by the way, I don't care what the number is. I mean, I do, but I don't, I don't, I'm not as, I'm not trying to embarrass you. If you're a three or a two, Right? Look, I'm not embarrassing you. What I want you to do is I just want you to get to the next number. That's all I want you to do. I want you to get from a 2 to a 3. I want you to get from a 3 to a 4. I don't need you to get to a 2 to a 10. So what do you need to change right now? What can you change right now to get to the next number? All right? And then we're going to ask that in all four areas. All right? So you have your physical number. Regardless of what it is, you got your physical number, great. Okay? There's your physical. One. So now the second number, the mental number, really very simple. What are you consuming that is making you better? 
what are you consuming? What are you reading? What are you, what are you, what are you reading? What are you consuming? How, what are you doing with your mind that is increasing your wisdom or your knowledge or your understanding on some level that is helping you be better, whether it's be better at what you do, be better in life, be better in, in the world, be a better, be a better person. What are you doing mentally to do that? Right. And how are you doing in that same scale range? One, one miserable 10 on sinning. How are you doing in improving you mentally? Right. And, and by the way, you know, you know, there's so many things you can do. You can read great books like Thriving, um, the Thriving book, Thriving Not Surviving by Gina. Uh, you can you can take up an instrument. You can you know you can learn a foreign language. There's all sorts of things that you can do, right? None of it. Gina is going to tell us none of that works if you don't take action with it, right? So part of it is not just consuming the information. It's also taking action. That's how we improve. All right, so you got two numbers. you got a physical number and a mental number. Now let's talk about the emotional number. A lot of times we psychological professionals like to refer to things like emotional intelligence or emotional quotients or things like that. And basically what we're saying here is we're asking you to rate yourself on a scale of that same scale, 1 to 10. How well are you able to control your emotions under stress? And by the way, we're under stress, so how well are you able to do that? And then the second thing is how well are you able to tap into the emotions of others? Right? It's a tough question. Can you really understand can you really walk in the shoes of another person, right? That's, that's the question, right? And do they believe it, right? So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 being outstanding, how are you doing in terms of walking in someone else's shoes? How are you doing in terms of being able to keep your emotions in check, being able to intentionally say, I'm not stressed about this, being emotionally, intentionally say, I can deal with this in the right way, that I'm not being explosive or I'm not being in a grenade or a tank or whatever you might be. Right? How are you doing that? Right? Scale of one to ten. How are you doing? And then what do you got to do to improve? So much of this is intention. So much. Sometimes you just got to learn about emotions to make that happen. All right. And then finally, that uh, fourth area. So you got three numbers: physical, mental, emotional. The fourth area is the spiritual. And let me tell you about the spiritual area because you know what the spiritual is really very simple. If you remove the physical, the mental, and the emotional, remove all that, whatever you have left, I'm, that's spiritual, right? And spiritual is, is, is that area of life we cannot explain. I cannot scientifically explain it to you. And by the way, science will never be able to explain it to you. Because it is a realm that touches us, that hits us in a way that is so unique and so different. Sometimes they'll say music touches my soul. Sometimes people believe in God. Sometimes people go to nature. Sometimes people believe in meditation. There's a variety of things that we do that fulfill us. If we add the word faith, meaning that we believe in something beyond ourselves, in this case, that's spiritual. So my question is, how's it working for you? On a scale of 1 to 10, how's it working? How's it going? What do you need to do to change? I mean, if it's if you, if, if you do believe in God, I mean, how's that relationship going? I mean, what do you need to change? If you believe in nature and that's what you believe is a spiritual touch, touches you, what do you need to change? Right? So those are the four areas of your life. And those four areas, think of them as the legs of a chair, right? And if the chair is uneven, right, then what happens is sitting in there causes us a lot of discomfort in terms of our posture. By the same token... If the chair is too low, because all four of those areas are too low, we're sitting in a low chair, and it's really we can't eat from a normal table. So the whole idea is to bring the chair up to the right height, 
and bringing them up together in balance. And speaking of someone who is totally in balance and has her chair at the right spot, her name is Gina Gardner, and uh, she is a two-time number one international best-selling author. She is a motivational speaker. She's an empowerment coach, transformational leadership trainer, and uh, she's coached. She has over 30 years of experience in helping people achieve happiness and success. She has supported many, many individuals and couples, probably thousands, who knows, to develop a greater sense of self-worth, the confidence to challenge and change limiting beliefs in order to become more loving towards themselves and others. She is passionate. I'm telling you, she's so passionate about helping people, especially her clients, to achieve their full potential. But she wants to, she's going to do this for you too today, to become genuinely the best self. She's learned to walk twice. We're going to talk about that story while uh, running an award-winning school for the most part from wheelchair. And um, the experience was, she will say, is an absolute gift to her. Uh, she left the headship of the school in 2004 and since then has worked with, again, countless individuals and couples helping them learn to, lessons from their past in order to achieve happiness and fulfillment. She believes that her disability is a metaphor for life. She says, if you believe that you lack the time, money, and expertise, if you fear you are not you or are not good enough, pretty enough, that you are too old, too young, too fat, too short, too poor, too uneducated to achieve your dream, the chances are you'll fail. Isn't that so true? Life can be incredibly challenging. Relationships work. Finances help. Gina covers it all. She walks her talk. All the strategies she offers through her books, and she's got a few books out there, and uh, we're going to talk to her about this one. Her work is a culmination of personal experience and decades of working with people to help them achieve personal empowerment, and she has uh, she has an amazing story, and we are thrilled to have her here on A New Direction. So everybody out there, will you please welcome Gina Gardner to A New Direction, and Gina, welcome to A New Direction. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's absolutely brilliant to be here. Thank you. Um, yeah, by the way, folks, if you have not picked this up, um, she's not from here in the U.S., okay, in case you haven't picked this up. I love this book, uh, Thriving, Not Surviving. It is, I've told you that before we got on, I am absolutely thrilled about this book. I have, it looks like I've had it for like six years. I have chewed up these pages so much. In the introduction of, your, of this book, uh, Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment, you start into the introduction talking about our, if I were only, our lack of self-worth, and you talk about that our lack of self-worth is a modern-day epidemic. When you say lack of self-worth is a modern-day epidemic, in the middle of a pandemic, how, w- w- help, us, help us understand why our lack of self-worth is this, is epidemic nature. Everything starts with you. Each one of us is the common denominator in our lives and we're with us from the moment of conception until we die. Mm. And ultimately, how we think about ourselves, the level of self-worth that we have, is something that's going to color our experience in every area of our lives. Mm. Because if you believe that you are not enough, you know, and I use the, you know, you, I I'm not educated enough, I'm too fat, too thin, too tall, I'm too young, I'm too old, then in a way that you just keep yourself completely stuck in the place of being a victim, you become less resourced. And I think we need to make a distinction very early on between being self-confident and having a a sense of self-worth and ego. 
because there's nothing about ego in terms of having a true sense of self-worth. It's recognizing that if you step into your genuine power, that you don't want to um, play small. Because in my experience, as many people fear success as fear failure. You own your skills and talents, but you also recognize that there is the capacity to be even better. Mm. And that you are you see life as a, a journey and an opportunity to learn. And that if you are truly stepping into your power, it's not about diminishing somebody else. I'm more powerful than you, therefore you're smaller and less important than me. When you step into your genuine power, then you see the potential in others and you want to nurture and grow those too so that they too can shine their light. And mm. for me, whether you're talking about leading your own life, leading your, your family, leading in a professional uh, sense, for me it's all about having integrity, having compassion for yourself and others, and having the courage to do what's right uh, and that all starts with that sense of self-worth because every relationship you have with other people is a reflection of the relationship you have with you. Mm. That's beautiful. Wow. Wait, you know, I just, I just throw you a pitch, right? And then you just knock one out of the park right off the bat. That's amazing. That, wow. Wow. That's beautiful. And I love it. Okay. I love it. That's what a great start. Uh, uh, Gina uh, Gardner. Thriving, not surviving. So, Gina, the thing... Wow, I'm blown away by that. Gina, the thing that captured me, because I refused to read your bio before I read your book, I decided that... Because I didn't want to taint reading the book. I felt like, you know, I wanted to see what the book stood up on its own. And then, of course, I read the book, and you start telling your story. And as you're telling your story... The story, of course, lures me in, and I go, holy cow. And the book just got even better. Would you mind sharing your story? Because I think it's so relevant to how your story is absolutely cre a, a key ingredient to thriving and not just surviving. Um, so... I started teaching at the age of 21, and I'd not been very happy at school, um, but I found myself when I started teaching. I, I loved it, I was good at it, and I was promoted very quickly. And so I became the uh, assistant principal of the, of the largest, I think in, in America the equivalent would be a junior high, um, the largest school in the district. Um, and I was promoted to be the catalyst for change. I was the youngest of our two on the staff, and in fact, when I went uh, to have a look around the school, I was told, um, we don't want you, we want a man. And they could get away with it in those days, but they wouldn't now. Um, but I decided to apply anyway, and I got the job. And for the first six months, I and the principal, who was a lovely man, um, we worked hard to strategically develop a plan for moving the school really into a much more modern way of being. And I was really pleased... To get to, in February, we have a, a week's holiday in schools in the UK uh, called the Spring Half Term. Um, and I went off skiing. And I was um, a good skier, and I would go skiing three or four times in the winter uh, rather than have a summer holiday. And so off I went to St. Anton in um, Austria. And in those days, this, the 
the style of skis was to have as long a ski as possible. And I'd had a new pair of skis for Christmas, um, and I'd been convinced by the man in the shop to buy a pair of skis that was 10 centimetres longer than I was used to. And so I proceeded to wrap that 10 centimetres around itself several times during the week um, and spent the whole week being tail-end Charlie with a group of friends that I was with because I was getting to grips with these skis. And on the Thursday, the penultimate day, um, I had quite a nasty fall and it knocked my confidence a bit. So I said to my friends on on the Friday, I'm not going to come and ski with you. I'm going to go and ski by myself and I'm going to just get my confidence back. And they said, well, we'll meet you for lunch. We met for lunch, and they said they found this fabulous run. And would I like to come with them? I said, yeah, fine. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. The sun was shining. The mountains looked magnificent. And we went up on the chairlift, and I followed them. Um, And we went round a corner, and they had stopped. And I recognized that actually something was very wrong. And far from it being the um, the red run that was supposed to go for five or six kilometres, we were at the top of the Schindlergratz, which was the most difficult black run in St Anton. Mm. And it was very steep, full of moguls. Mm. Now, for those who are listening who are not familiar with, with what moguls are, it's where the snow is being carved out by the weather. And they can often be a couple of inches, like skiing over cobbles, so it's not very comfortable. <laughs> But these were six-foot monsters. Mm. And because it was so steep, the only way to get down was to turn on the top of the mogul and slide down. And I'd skied black runs before, but nothing like this. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I skied the first third. I then had quite a bad fall. And it took me about 20 minutes to retrieve my skis and to join my friends who were further down the, the, uh, the run. Um, each of them sitting on a mogul, rather like an elf sitting on a mushroom. Mm. So I took my skis off and I sat on my mogul, and I'd not been there very long. And so I say it was a beautiful day, and my mogul gave way. The top of my mogul had melted. And I started to rotate, but there was nowhere to land. And the last thing I remember was hearing a scream. I came to much further down the mountain and I'm told I fell between 150 and 200 feet. Took a long time for my friends to ski to me, but the one good thing was between the falls and the skiing I'd done that we were almost at the bottom of the run and I didn't want to use the blood wagon and so with their help I got back to the hotel and we travelled back the next day. Uh, my mum took one look at me and I was carted off to accident and emergency um, and I'd got a concussion and I'd trapped a nerve in my neck. Mm. And it took me two or three weeks to get back to school. Five or six weeks after the initial accident, um, I was the deputy leader on a ski party with 150-some school children going to Switzerland. And I was given permission to go by the medics because we were taking the doctor with us. And as the week went on, I became more and more like Quasimodo, and I was really struggling. So on the last evening, I just had to give in, and I said to my colleagues, I'm going to have to go and lie down. And I went up to my room, and within a very few minutes, I found that I was paralyzed down one side. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to shout. I was worried about frightening the children, and they were milling about in the corridor. 
and I had to wait for somebody to come. And that wait seemed like forever. I've no idea how long it was. But once somebody did arrive, all hell broke loose and I was carted off to the local hospital and then transferred to Geneva Hospital. And I was there um, for a week and then flown home uh, to go into hospital locally. And it took me till the end of May to get back to school, by which time I could walk. Um, but I wasn't right. I was doing school, going home, going to bed. And so I was really thrilled to get to the summer holidays and think I've got six weeks now that I can rest and recuperate and get myself ready uh, back for the next term. And so the first week, 10 days went by and, and I did lots of resting. And then one morning, very early, I got a phone call and it was from my principal's wife and she was absolutely hysterical. She had discovered John, the principal, her husband, he died in the night. We discovered later that he'd had a massive heart attack. So far from it being the holiday that I thought it was going to be, I helped her manage the funeral, I contacted the staff, the parents, the local authority, and I then had to get ready for the September because I was now acting principal. And in the January, I was appointed to be the permanent principal. I was 29. I was inexperienced, I'd been the deputy only for a year, but I was absolutely determined that I wanted this school to be the best learning environment, not only for the pupils, but for the staff, and, and to some extent for the parents as well. It was, my school was in an urban area, quite a lot of racial tension, um, quite an aggressive area, and I wanted our school to be an oasis, if you like, um, and so started my career there and I was the head teacher there for just over 20 years and in that time my health um, fluctuated but my mobility deteriorated and by 1987 I was using a wheelchair to get around school didn't use it in my office or the classrooms um, but I couldn't physically manage the site it was too big and then in 1996, I sneezed as I was doing something in the garden, um, and I felt something go in my back. And I discovered um, a few days later, as things deteriorated, and we got to the last day of term, and suddenly I couldn't put my weight through my legs, that I had ruptured a disc in my back. Um, and I had surgery, and when I came to, I couldn't put my left foot to the floor without fainting. I'd got failed back surgery syndrome. Mm. It took me two years to walk to the bottom of my very little garden. And three months later, again, the last night of the school summer term, the staff and I went out for a, a meal to celebrate the end of term. And when I got home, I didn't feel very well. And I was physically sick. And I felt something go in my back. And I'd ruptured another disc. Once again, failed back surgery syndrome. This time I wasn't a very good stalk. I was completely wheelchair bound. I couldn't put my weight through my feet at all. Um, four days later I was back at school mm. because at home it was daytime TV. If I didn't have someone leave a, um, a cup out and fill the kettle, um, then I couldn't make a cup of tea. And I have to say daytime television doesn't do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I could go to school, I could run my school, which I loved, which I was good at, 
I could be useful, make a positive difference. Um, and so that had always been the order of the day, that I would get back to school as quickly as possible. Five months later, the consultant said, I think we'll talk about you going back for a couple of hours a week. And I just laughed um, because I'd been part-time for three weeks and then full-time thereafter. But by 2004, my health was deteriorating and um, I was given an ultimatum by the neurologist um, that I had to, to leave school. Um, now, what I recognize is that in all of this, in, the, in all of the disability, there was a huge gift. And that gift was because I couldn't physically get, I couldn't get through the door of the classrooms, uh, most of them, and certainly I couldn't get round most of the classrooms because the wheelchair took too much room. I had to find a different way of empowering people, getting them to take radical responsibility for their own performance and a shared responsibility for the team, for the school. It was incredibly successful. We were on the, the uh, Her Majesty's Inspectorate publisher uh, list each year of what they see as the 100 best schools in England. And we were on that list twice during my tenure. And I'm very proud of that. Wow. But I'm so proud of the team. But I also recognise that if I'd been able-bodied, the chances are I would probably not have come up with the same unique strategy for developing empowerment and leadership. I'd have probably been too controlling. Mm. But since 2004, I've used the same principles and techniques in corporate world and with, with businesses, mainly since 2009, with, with uh, businesses, helping them to, um, to develop the same strategy within their business and as a result become more productive, more profitable, better relationships and better work-life balance. Wow. Her name's Gina Gardner. The book is called Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment. And you just heard her story right here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, you know, New Direction has a couple great sponsors, right? Epic Physical Therapy has been with us for quite a while. And guess what? They just opened up a second location in downtown, uh, in our Research Triangle Park in downtown Raleigh. And whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery or suffering, Everyday aches and pains, having difficulty performing activities of daily living, or maybe unable to perform athletic activities because you're an athlete and you're just not you're just not meeting your athletic goals. Maybe you're just looking to improve how you move and feel. Look, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored for you and your individual needs. Look, with their experience in rehabbing young athletes to professional athletes, they really do understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So when you're ready for epic relief, epic recovery, and epic results, you know what? You need to just check out the, the physical therapist at Epic Physical Therapy, and you just go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You know what? They have been with us from the very beginning. And you know what? Linda and her team have been helping people for 35 years. And whether it's selling homes, buying homes, all over the world, they have helped people either matching them with the right professional, uh, you know, that's in their local area. Or if you're in the Research Triangle Park, that's Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill. They help people all over the Triangle. And thousands, they have helped uh, in, in the selling, selling their home or buying their home. And the reason that they continue to be so successful and at the top of the game 35 years later 
is very really because of what their clients say about them. And, and it's what they say about their customer service. Their clients literally say, you know what? Their customer service is legendary. It, it's just absolutely legendary. It, it's untouchable. And, and it's because Linda, from the very beginning, when she started her career in the 80s, uh, she really developed one relationship at a time. And it was about the relationship, not about the sale, not about, you know, the closing. It was about developing the relationship with one client one vendor, one person at a time. And that tradition still continues today in a world where sometimes we get so automated that the relationship doesn't matter to them. Relationships matter because they understand that your house is more than just a dollar sign. Your house is where memories are made and those memories are important to you and they want to treat your house like it's their house. So when you're ready, uh, you know, to either sell your home or buy your home, why not check out the, your friends, uh, the legends of customer service at Linda Craft and Team Realtor. And you can learn realtors and you can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. It's L-A-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Gina Gardner. And she just went through a phenomenal story of her life, which, by the way, is is gripping. And, and you know, and it's it's a great story. But beyond the fact that it's a great story, it sets us up. Gina, I think for, you know, I guess people want to kind of, there's a couple things. One is you've kind of set us up here to just just start talking about, you know, how do we get to the happiness, the success piece? Because clearly, you know, and, and you're still in a wheelchair, is that correct? I can now walk short distances, but if I go into town or I go uh, traveling, then yes, I still have to use a wheelchair. So... You have created this, I think you called it, it's like a woven fabric, uh, yes. is what you've called this. And the, before we get to the five principles, because I think what we're just going to have to do, Gina, is we're just going to have to bring you back at a future date to do the rest of this, because it's, it's too good. So, right. um, you talk about initially the seven underpinning principles. Let's let's and so let's talk about the seven underpinning principles. Why we get, because we really need to start there before we can get to the five secrets, right? I mean, don't we? Well, if I may just put a little bit of perspective about the five pathways and then go into the principles and connecting okay. themes, because right, that, that. would make sense. Sure. Um, what I realized, and I, my previous book, which is Chariots on Fire, which was my story and the principles that I lived by, what I, over the, the period of time between writing the two books, I, I'd moved on inevitably. You know, life is all about moving on and, and developing greater understanding and, and a, a greater a range of strategies and so on. Um, and so what I recognized through working with with whether it was individual life coaching clients or it was business, uh, working with the whole businesses, teams, uh, working with couples, is that no matter how people presented and what they came for, in some form or another, we covered each of the five pathways. Hmm. And I was, when I started writing the book, I was told by the pundits, no, you know, you're making it too broad, you're making it too wide, concentrate on one thing. And what I believe is actually you've got to do it holistically because if you're working on your personal life and you don't work on your professional life, your chair is a great analogy, it's uneven Mm. and vice versa. And so the five secret pathways are beliefs, relationships, um, 
uh, success and how we view success and how we're motivated, uh, our choices um, and how we manage change and purpose and fulfillment. But what I recognized was that it didn't matter which of those you were looking at, there were some other things that actually ran through everything rather like the foundation, if you, uh, if you will. And so I thought, well, how do I represent that? Because they are so interwoven, and it seemed to me that they were like the warp and weft of a, of a fabric, and that that fabric acted as a sling which underpinned the five pathways. So if you think about the principles, the underpinning principles, and there are seven, and the first of those is permission. And I want, you know, if you are listening to this, think about whose permission in your head are you asking before you do things? Are you asking it of yourself? Are you giving yourself permission to do things? And it's a really interesting concept because when people start to give themselves permission to do things differently, to uh, step out of their comfort zone, um, it acts as a key unlocking the door. But very often it's not their own permission that they're seeking. It's a parent or it's their partners. And not necessarily um, in reality, but just in terms of the voice that's going on in their head. And so having permission to fly, to shine, to succeed is really important. And then your perspective on life becomes your reality. You're in a park, there's a dog, there's two people. The dog approaches one person and they start to squeal and wave their arms about because their belief is that all dogs are dangerous because they were bitten at the age of two. The dog moves away and it moves towards the other person who welcomes it and gives it a pat and a stroke because it knows how to deal with dogs because it's had dogs all their life and their belief is that all dogs are friendly. Their perspectives are different. It's the same dog. But because our perspective then drives how we behave, how we think, um, it makes a huge difference. So if you shift your perspective and if you're prepared to take a step back, to take a new look, a fresh look at things, have a different perspective, then very often things change significantly. What you focus on seems to expand. Mm. And I've, that's been a really good uh, thing for me because I've always focused on what I can do rather than what I can't do. Mm. And as a result, it's meant that, uh, that I've, my life has been less limited. But if I may, I'd like to share a story. With sure. you. It's, it's, it, it was a, a pivotal moment for me. Um, I'd left uh, being a principal and I'd started working for myself, initially did a research project across businesses to see um, if the issues facing um, those businesses in terms of leadership were the same as we had in education, and of course they were because we're talking about people. But I wanted to study NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and so I'd studied with the same organisation to do my practitioner, my masters and then my coaching, although I was already a qualified coach. And when I finished, I decided that because I'd used the same organization, I was going to um, see as many people using NLP as I could. And I went off to watch Tony Robbins, and I'm sure many of your listeners will be um, very familiar with Tony Robbins. But at that time, my view was huge American, very loud, 
very big, <laughs> lots of hype, um, and I wonder how much substance there is. So I have to be very honest, and I went to uh, the programme, and I was very cynical about you know, that this was going to have anything really to offer me. How wrong could I be? <laughs> and I arrived at the, talk about perceptions, I arrived at the Excel Centre in London, which is a conference centre, and there were 10,000 people on the course. I mean, that in itself is just mind-blowing. And I liked what I heard in that first morning. And he was talking about um, a, a course that he was running in California. And I just missed it out of hand. Now, you need to bear in mind that while I was a serving principal, I worked for the government as an advisor. And I went all over the place um, working with other schools. I was a trainer facilitator for the National College and for the London Institute. Not all at the same time. Right. But I did that to bring a budget into school and to keep the school at cutting edge. And lots of people had said to me, well, you know, to do that and run a school um, and to be away from school and you're in a wheelchair, isn't that amazing? And what I realized is that if I went to California, I didn't have an electric travel chair in those days, how would I manage? And I just dismissed it. Later on that day, we did the fire walk. Now, for those who are, don't know about the fire walk, you walk about 25, 30 feet on hot coals in bare feet and if you're in the right mindset, you don't get burnt. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> no, don't, please. I don't want to hear from you. If you tried this, this is on your own volition. You did not do this because we said so. All right, go um, ahead. Anyway, I was thrilled that with some help, this is 2006, and um, with I could walk four or five steps unaided because in 2004 I had a spinal stimulator fitted internally but very, very slow progress. Um, and I was really thrilled that with somebody holding my arm both side, at both sides, I managed to do the fire walk, which is the furthest I'd walked since 1996, and we're now that in 10 years. Wow. And as I sat back in my wheelchair, absolutely thrilled to little mint balls that I'd done it, the guy behind me was a double amputee. Mm. He had no legs below the knee. He turned himself up onto his hands and he walked those hot coals on his hands. Mm. I was blown away. Mm. And I thought, if he can do that, I'm self-limiting. Mm. That night, I bought my ticket and I bought my flight. I went off to California, did the course. I've done all Tony Robinson's courses. I became a senior leader. Since then, I've traveled the world um, for, for work, speaking, um, and for pleasure. I am forever grateful for that man. Don't know who he was. But he changed my life. And because I've shared this story, I know from the feedback I've got, it's made people think about how they self-limit. And my challenge to your listeners is have a think about how often you say, I can't do that because, or I've already tried that, didn't work. How often are you self-limiting because either you're frightened that you might fail or you're frightened that you might succeed? Mm. Mm. So the next pathway is that of love. We live in a world that's full of fear and hatred and division. And for me, love is not about pink and fluffy. <laughs> if you love somebody, you expect the best of them and you want the best for them. Right. Um, for me, coming from a place of love rather than a place of fear means that you have all of your resources available to you 
and that you are going to use kindness and compassion um, rather than um, division and hate. And I don't think we've ever needed it more than we do at the moment. Amen. So the next pathway is that of forgiveness. And I believe, you know, holding on to the grudge, the hurt, is like giving yourself the poison and expecting the other person to die. And I think it's really important to recognize that forgiveness doesn't mean that you condone the action, mm-hmm. nor does it mean that you forget. But in clipping the, the chains that hold you chained back to the abuse, the unkindness, the, the thing that hurt you, gives you the freedom to have an amazing present and a, a wonderful future. And I've done a lot of work now with abused people. And I know that forgiveness is something, it's the biggest gift that you can give yourself. But in order to, um, to move forward, you not only have to forgive the perpetrator of whatever it was, but you also have to forgive yourself. And for me, one of the most powerful things that can help recalibrate our brain, and before this we started the formal interview, we were talking about how our brains are a bit like an old-fashioned vinyl record and get stuck in the groove. One of the ways to, to positively recalibrate the brain is that of gratitude. And, you know, if we are grateful and we collect gratitudes each day, the quality of our life just changes. And the last underlying, um, underpinning principle is that of playfulness. And I think we need to be more childlike, not childish. Because if you look at a young child learning to walk, their playfulness about even you know, the things that they find challenging, you know, learning to walk, they, they do it and they giggle and they may cry for a minute, but they get up and they keep going. And they have a, an awe and wonder and curiosity about the world. And if we could ca- recapture that... Um, I think life can be so different. But it is important that it is childlike and not childish. Mm. Wow. Well, I did not expect us to do, I did not expect, because, you you know, we've got other things that we, (laughs) but you've kind of just jumped. I love this. I'm sitting back here in stunned silence just going, wow. I don't have to say anything. I'm just like on go, just just go, because I don't want to say anything here. I don't want to. I don't want to disrupt the vibe, uh, because th- these are these are amazing principles. And I I have to be honest with you, Gina. When I was reading through these, and I'm gonna tell you something. Forgiveness is there's two two. Well, they're all huge, but two that are like at the top of my list. If I were to rank the order them, the first one is forgiveness for me, because. I, I am a, you know, I've written books on social media and, and one of the things that is a consistent theme in social media is people who have been hurt and abused in a relationship, right? And yes. they're so hurt that they just, they, they, they refuse to trust any, they're, they're, matter of fact, their signature is trust no one, trust nobody, right? And, you know, my wife says this to me. And you said it in the book, and it was funny because I, I wrote laugh out loud because you both think the same way. She, you know, she always says, you know, when unforgiveness is exactly the same thing that you said. It's like drinking the poison and hoping the other person dies. You know, it's just, it's just what we it's what we think. And and the truth of the matter is, when we don't forgive, they're still controlling us, and and that anger that we have towards them isn't hurting them at all. No, they carry on, don't they? Regardless, they have no idea. 
And so then we what we do is we keep damaging, we keep scarring ourselves with our own unforgiveness. And it's really, and you've heard this, right? Because I mean, you, you, you've coached, you know, like I have, you know, tons of people. You know, how many times have you heard somebody say to you, you know, well, you don't know what I've been through, Gina. Absolutely. Yep. And the answer is, no, I don't. However, it's your choice. I mean, everything we do is a choice. Right. But every choice has consequences. Right. And if you choose to hold on to that hurt, you're going to choose to be a victim. And that will color your life until you let go of being a victim. The interesting thing is that as people learn, and it's, I absolutely accept it's not easy, but as people recognize that by forgiving someone else for whatever it is, and it could be a small thing or something monumental, that when you forgive them, your gift is not to them. You're giving that gift to you because that frees you from staying stuck in the past. I mean, otherwise, it's like carrying this heavy portmanteau strapped to one ankle. And you've got to drag it with you wherever you go. That's so true. Her name is Gina Gardner. The book is called Thriving, Not Surviving. And you're listening to her here on A New Direction. You know, we are so grateful here at A New Direction that we have two of the most outstanding sponsors we could have ever hoped for. And Epic Physical Therapy, which is our newest sponsor, but they've been with us a long time. Listen, they're my physical therapist. I love them. They have been, I've had knee surgeries, shoulder surgeries. I've had my shoulder rebuilds. I've had knee replacement, knee. I, I, I have been more injured because you know what the truth of the matter is? I refuse to grow old. And so I push my body to all sorts of limits. And you know what the truth is? Even though I do that, they have all the equipment and the experience and the certifications to get me going right back so that I can do my workouts hard, right? Fit, like Epic Physical Therapy offers the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment. They have things like the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill so that you can run without putting pressure on your joints. They have the Normatec compression sleeves, which are great. And then the Game Ready, my favorite. You hear me talk about all the time. Freezing cold water and pressure, whether it's leg or shoulder, and it's just oh, amazing. That's just a few. And, you know, the other thing is that they're trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting edge, not just cutting edge, bleeding edge treatments available, including blood flow restriction therapy, great stuff, dry needling, one of my favorites, and then cupping, which I love too, which manipulates the muscle through the skin with these little cups. Absolutely fantastic. Look, if you're ready for your epic relief, if you're ready for your epic recovery and you're ready for your epic results, you know what? There's not just one place that you can go. Now there's two places that you can actually hit here in the triangle area. Why not check out my friends and uh, the people who get me back on my feet and get me working out again, the folks at Epic Physical Therapy. And you can do that by going to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, you know what? 35 years you know what? They have been developing relationships one at a time, and they've served thousands of people. Matter of fact, her first clients from 1985, do you know what? They still come to see her. They still come to see her. That's 80, that, since 1985. Her first clients still come to see her. Why would your first clients continue to come to see you? You know why? It's because you developed a relationship. It's not because, it's not because you sold their home for the most money, or perhaps you did. 
but it's because the relationship was so powerful and so important. And that's really what's more important to Linda Craft and Team Realtors. Yes, they're going to sell your home for you know the highest amount of value. And yes, they're going to do it in the shortest amount of time. And yes, they're going to take the stress out of it because that's why their clients say that their customer service is legendary, right? I mean, they're going to do all those things that you would expect. But the difference is, is that the relationship is numero, numero number one. It is the absolute number one thing that's important to them, and that is that they want to develop something with you that lasts a lifetime, not just a sale. And so uh, if you're ready to develop a relationship with a realtor who cares about your home as much as you do, then maybe it's time that you start with Lindacraft and Team Realtors. They've helped people all over the world. And you can do that by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T. Dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with um, fabulous, fabulous friend um, and, uh, uh, and, and author of the book Thriving, Not Surviving, Gina Gardner, and she is joining us here. And wow, we've, we're just having a great time. And so, uh, Gina, we just st- were talking about forgiveness. My, the other big one that I really love is gratitude. I am a gratitude guy. And you talk in your book about collecting gratitudes and we, we have, we have two slightly different, um, views on this. I, I not, not, not dramatically different, but I am a person who, and maybe this is because we talked about you being more of a night person and I'm an early morning person, but I, I like to tell people to, when they first wake up in the morning is to write down five to seven things that you're grateful for. And the reason, and I, I like people keeping a journal of doing this. And, and the reason why I like people doing that is because as you go through the day, regardless of what happens the day, when you go to sleep at night, you can open up that journal and those five to seven things that you were grateful for in the morning, regardless of what happened in your day are still there and you're still grateful for them, uh, in the evening. You have a little bit different approach. Well, it's only one approach, right? I mean, uh, as part of the Thrive Together tribe um, and the uh, Thriving Not Surviving program, there is a journal, and um, people are. It's suggested that people fill their journal out, um, and that part of their journal is that in each day there's a thank bank, and their thank bank is gratitudes and to note their gratitudes. And most people that I know of journal at the beginning of the day. So collecting gratitudes is just one strategy, and it's one that uh, I get many clients to do. Those clients who are depressed, who see the negative in everything, who focus on lack rather than focusing on uh, on what they have. Mm-hmm. And the reason I ask them to collect those gratitudes during the day, and it's not a one thing, but to collect them and to make it easy to collect so you know it, that every time you have a cup of tea that you enjoy or you see a beautiful tree or the phone goes and it's a friend or you have great plumbing that you feel <laughs> grateful in that moment because it recalibrates you being a in the moment because if when you are in the moment you can't worry about the past or be anxious about the future right. when you are in the moment it starts to make you see the world in a different way. Mm. So I think the ideal thing is to do both. Uh-huh. Um, it's not an either or. Right. But I, the the moment by moment, taking the time to notice things, I think is really important. And in a way, it brings us beautifully onto 
are the connecting themes. And the first one of that is being mindful. Mm. Because 95% of everything that we think, say, and do is habitual. It doesn't cross our conscious minds at all for most people. And so one of the strengths of collecting gratitude during the day is you have to be mindful. You have to be consciously thinking to do it. Mm. And so it's an exercise not just in gratitude, but also in mindfulness and, and in a whole, you know, using powerful language, which is another one um, of the connecting themes, to yourself. But instead of using negative language all the time, that you're actually looking for opportunities to notice and to focus on positive things. Would, this mindfulness, I am a big proponent here that we are so self-unaware. <laughs> yes. And and I and as I work with my clients and, and like I, I just want to get them just even a little bit aware because we just kind of we just kind of go through our day, right? Like you know we wake up, we drink our coffee or your tea, and you. You know, then we go do this, we go do that, we go we go from this appointment to that appointment, and we go around and around. And around. Then we come home, we get a grandma pizza lunch, and then we go we go back out, we do our thing, we got the phone calls, we got all this, and then check the email, go back through, eat dinner. You know, then we go do a little bit of that, and then maybe throw on the tube for a little bit, and then we go to sleep, and then we wake up, we do the whole thing all over again. Yeah, don't you think it's interesting that we're called human beings? <laughs> <laughs> when you said that in the book, I cracked up because it's like we are human doings. We're we're not human beings. We're human doings, and you're so correct in in that assessment because we 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 are so we we have a hard time. Those of us who are hard workers, right, and believe that we can do it, we can go harder and even harder. And we could do it longer and louder, and right? And because we believe that we just can, what happens is we we get to a point where we don't know what to do when we're not doing something. Yeah. As a recovering workaholic, not, <laughs> I make that very, very clear. And for me, work was great pain control, and it took me a long right. time to recognize that actually um, that I had switched my body off completely. Uh, and there was a very good reason for that. I didn't want when I was doing things that I liked didn't hurt. Um, but ultimately, I think the that probably the hardest thing that we do is to be comfortable to be with ourselves, mm. no distractions, and to just sit in that quiet. And it's there that you find magic. And I have to say. I have not mastered it. It's it's a, been a lifelong journey for me, and I struggle to be still and quiet because I am a busy person. Um, but ultimately, it's in those moments that you get the opportunity to really connect with that inner wisdom. Um, now, I do it. In, I do it intuitively with my clients. I find no problem at all in sitting in the silence and listening to them. But when I do it for myself. I find that that's much more difficult, but I think it's something that's so worth doing. Well, it doesn't matter what the addiction is, right? We're, we're on some level, we're self-medicating. Yes, whether it's food, alcohol, drugs, shopping, sex, work. Right. We all have something that we use that helps us uh, manage the, the, the challenges of our lives, don't we? Will, because, and then we rationalize it in the same way. So let, let's just, you know, let's take work. 
you know, we would rationalize work in the same way we'd, we, we would rationalize, you know, a drug or whatever. We would just, or alcohol, we'd go, I got to have it. You, you don't understand. If I don't have it, I'm not going to make money. And if I don't make money, you know, I'm not going to survive, right? So then we justify working harder and working more and working more hours. And meanwhile, we're getting out of balance. Our relationships are starting to fall apart. And, and right, we're not doing the things that we need to do. And all of a sudden, our spiritual life starts to drop our mental you know, our mental life may be in a good shape, but emotionally we're starting to go bad. And then like most people who are in business who work too much, they, the first thing they give up is their physical life because they eat, you know, bad food. And, you know, I think you call them takeaways. We call it takeout or, you know, yeah. go through the drive through and, you know, we eat horrible food, you know, as an excuse to not work out so that we can work more. And, and then it numbs us and we get numb. I do think it's important to make the distinction between people who are working long hours because they're they're badly paid right. and they're doing it to survive. Right. And those people who work long hours because the working gives them something um, and is, if you like, the anesthetic. And, mm -hmm. and I would suggest for most people the anesthetic is because emotionally they're hurting right. or spiritually they're hurting. They could, for me, it was very much around physical pain, although uh, I suspect that, you know, the others were involved as right. well. Um, and I think, you know, there are, there are many people who work unspeakable hours because that's the way they've got enough to scrape together the rent and, and to buy food. And that's not that would not actively be their their way of being if right. they felt they had an alternative. Right. But ultimately, I think you know we have with we have, as I say, everything we do is a choice. And you know, I think as we move out of the pandemic and lockdown, I don't think we're going to go into uh, what was the old norm. There's an opportunity for this, a paradigm shift. And I think part of that is, for, certainly in the UK, many people are talking about how they have reassessed what's important in their lives, that they've recognized that it's relationships that are important and not material things. Mm. Now, one of the things that strikes me is that 10 weeks ago, it would have been unthinkable to think that the general population would be really overtly valuing porters in hospitals and the cooks in hospitals and nurses and doctors and people in the food chain and in the uk every thursday night for the last 10 weeks people in their in their millions have gone out onto the streets socially distancing clapping and banging saucepans to say a big thank you Previously, if you didn't eat worms in the jungle as a, as a reality star, or you weren't a footballer, or you weren't a movie star, or a musician, you didn't get recognition. Right. Things have shifted, and I yeah. do hope that the shift to less junk values and more real, deep-held values that have uh, that move us forward, that enriches, I'm hopeful that that will continue. Although I have to say, having seen some of the scenes, not just in America now, but elsewhere, um, it is it is something that I, I hope that we will see resolved. You know, normally, Gina, I ask uh, my friends to give a new direction to the listeners as we end, because we've been on for an hour, but you just did it. You really did. You just gave it. And I could not ask any more from you. And I am bringing you back. If you want to, if you would love, if you would like to be on the show again, 
I would love to bring you back to talk more about this book. I'd love to. I have, uh, I want more people to hear you and I want more people to hear your book because they need it. The book is called Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment. It is available at bookstores everywhere. It is available on Amazon. It's available in all sorts of different ways. By the way, I'm going to be doing my blog write-up of this book that's going to be associated with the podcast. So if you will check it out, it will have her all of her um, backlinks to not just the book, but also the backlinks to her websites that you can be part of the tribe. Um, which is connected to a Facebook page. It's absolutely brilliant stuff, and I'm telling you, she's going to help you. Um, it, the book is great. Get it immediately. Folks, that's the show. You know what I say to you right every week, right? Be inspired, because when you're inspired, that means you can inspire others. And in turn, that means they can inspire others as well, and that can make this world a really a great place. You know, I'm going to have another great guest, another great show. Thank you all over the world. I love you so much for you have so many choices and you chose to listen to this show. I am so grateful. Thank you so much. As I say every week, you know what that is, right, everybody? Ciao, everybody. Dreams will take